And it was at that point when they had the anesthesia over me. As clear as night, I heard the voice, Anna, do you want to live? It was such a bellowing, huge noise that it just kind of radiated through me. Like I heard it on the outside, but it just came through my whole body. Welcome to Simply Woke, a podcast about awakening experiences. These are the transformative events that connect us to our spiritual selves and personal truths. I'm Alessandra Johnston, and each week I speak with a different guest about how they woke up, what happened, what they learned, and how it shifted their life. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hello, hello, my woken up friends. I'm Alessandra Johnston, and welcome to Simply Woke. I got a quick question for you. Do you trust your intuition? Do you even hear it? And if you do, do you follow what it says? This happened to my guest today. Her name is Anna Milne, and she's a coach for moms. She helps mothers to overcome the overwhelm and the feelings of frustration and mom guilt and how to bring some calm back into the home without yelling. Anna had two sudden wake-up calls. The first one was when she gave birth to her last child. She experienced a lot of blood loss in that delivery, and she was actually really close to death. And as she felt herself slipping, she suddenly heard a loud voice asking her if she wanted to live or die. When she chose life, she was given some instructions. However, she didn't listen to the advice from within and allowed herself to get lost. She had always had a great deal of hatred towards herself and relied on drinking and drugs to numb all feelings in her life. And this caused her to spiral out of control. And six years later, she hit rock bottom. This was her second wake up. And she learned some interesting lessons afterwards. But before we get into the episode, if you've been finding this podcast valuable, can you please take a minute If you have time, because if you're driving, don't do this, but take a minute to open up the podcast app and scroll down a little bit. And if you've been enjoying it, if you can leave a five-star rating and or a review, that would greatly help the show to grow. So now let's dive in to episode eight with Anna Mill. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Oh, you're welcome. This is exciting. (laughs) Please tell me about your, your second pregnancy. So, you know, you hear the stories that women are glowing and they love being pregnant and it's the best part. Not, not, not for me. I, uh, it wasn't even morning sickness. I was sick morning, noon, and night. Like it was just how my body was for whatever reason, maybe because she's a girl. And then somehow you just begin to deal with that. I mean, you're dealing with this for nine months. So it didn't stop. It never did stop growing up. So you just kind of maneuvered life around it. Mm-hmm. And I'm out in the West Coast now. So maybe with how West Coast is, I decided to do a home birth. It's something that I very much wanted to do. I wanted to be in my own space. And I just wanted to be around friends opposed to, I did the hospital route with my first child. So I, I set up to do um, midwife which was great because it was just me on my own. So that amount of support was huge for her. And was your family supportive of this pregnancy? Not at the beginning. Being a single mom, I was always been a single mom. um, Second time around being a single parent, they 
you know, it was their dream of what they wanted as a child was not so much, you know, they quite some of my parents, they're old school. They've been married for, you know, almost 50 years. So that's what they envisioned on me. They never thought their daughter would be a single mom. So they were looking at it from, you know, how hard this would be for me. And so was the, was the father in your, in the baby's life or no? No, no, not so much. He lives in the, like he lives in Ontario. I live on the other side of the the country, basically. Yeah. Yeah. You live in BC, which I understand yes. is far, it's yes. very far away. Ontario and BC are very far away from each <laughs> other. Although BC is beautiful. I love BC. It is. Yes. So tell me why you wanted a home birth again. Just because the amount of support I know doing that uh, hospital birth with my first daughter, you know, you were there by yourself, basically, you know, I had friends to come, but they couldn't come during the day. And I know if I, you know, doing this on my own, I wanted friends and family who could sleep beside me, like I had really good birth partners that were there that ended up staying the whole time with me, you know, during my birth, I could do it in my home. And I just taking this, I don't want to say taking it on, but taking it on as myself, for lack of better words, I I felt I needed the support and they would be able to stay with me 24 seven where in a hospital, that wouldn't be the case. And you had a healthy pregnancy besides being nauseous and (laughs) fun fun pregnancy stuff. I understand. I'm not, I'm also not somebody who like loves pregnancy. So what happened during the birth of your daughter? All things birthing wise went well, you know, she, fast labor, like at least my sickness meant for something. It was a very fast labor. My midwife went down on the, the couch to have a sleep because uh, she said, oh, you'll be hours. And, you know, 10, 15 minutes later, she came rushing up. So the whole contractions probably were about a couple hours. And then after that point, for whatever reason, I, and I don't remember the medical terms, but my uterus is bicorner, like it's shaped differently than most women's uteruses. So my placenta got lodged in there. My body didn't know that. And it tried to flush it out. And when it flushes it out, it, it bleeds it out. So that's what happened. I, they couldn't birth my placenta. It was lodged. My body was trying to get it out. So I basically I was bleeding rapidly. Okay. And because I was at a home birth, this was up and beyond my what my midwife could handle. Yeah. So, so they immediately called for the ambulance. And I guess they didn't notice the panic in her in her voice because they said it's a home birth. We just need to, we need to transport mom and babe to the hospital. So a half an hour went by, 45 minutes went by. She had to call for backup midwife. And at that point, I was starting to lose consciousness. It uh, really scared her. Were you afraid? I think I was at that point where when I I started, everything around me started getting dark. And I saw the look of panic on my midwife at that point, And I thought, there's something going on. Did you know that you were bleeding out? Yes. Yes. And I think at that, for me, I was so weak at that moment. There wasn't that adrenaline you normally get into that circumstance, I was just slowly fading. So it wasn't so much of a fear. It was a very calming thing because your energy is just being let go. Hmm. Ambulances finally came and they immediately saw the panic to get me there. So they immediately brought me out. And I remember even in the ambulance, the questions he were asking me, I know he now he was asking me to keep me awake, you know, what my address was. And all I wanted to do is sleep. 
Okay. And he says, oh, so what's your address? And I'm like, you just picked me up there. Like, <laughs> I had no idea at the time. I said, you just picked me up. Don't you know? Like, just let me sleep. He goes, no, no, what's your name? Mm-hmm. I'm like, Anna. He goes, what's your phone number? I'm like, I don't know. Who are you calling? Like, I was very at that space of not knowing. And please just let me sleep. Mm-hmm. You kept asking me, what's your address? What's your address? And you were fading in and out. I felt bad for that guy. I was fading in and out telling him, just leave me alone. I want to sleep. Don't you know where I live? You just picked me up. And they immediately got me in. I needed to go in to, and have a DNC basically because they had to remove my placenta. And it was at that point when they had the anesthesia over me. As clear as night, I heard the voice, Anna, do you want to live? And did you hear this voice outside of you or was it within you? It was both because it was such a bellowing, huge noise that it just kind of radiated through me. Like I heard it on the outside, but it just came through my whole body. Huh. And did you black out right after that or did you? I didn't. I just said, yes, I want to live. And the response I got was, okay, go make it count. And then, then I guess at that point is when the anesthesia took over. And when you came to, what did you, what do you remember? I remember just asking where my baby was. It was at that moment that you're kind of trying to put it all together, looking around on on what's going on. I asked, you know, where, where's my child? Because at this point it it, it had been hours Mm -hmm. and my friends had her all wrapped up and they said, do you want to hold her? I'm like, no, 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 (laughs) I can't hold her right now. I just want to make sure she's okay. Okay. And and just in that, and I don't honestly remember that question for a bit after I came to consciousness and after I really sat back and even after the, the gynecologist came and sat with me and told me all that would happen, I think it was much later that I realized that had all come to be. And what was the realization that came to you? I think when he sat down and he said, okay, this is, you know, the seriousness of what happened. You lost over 60% of your blood. Uh, we didn't give you a blood transfusion. This is what happened to you. I want you to know how lucky you are. And at that point, when he said that, it was like a memory came to me. It was like I remembered everything that happened. And I really didn't let that think. I'm like, okay, I have to make it count. I have no idea what that means. I'm going to come back and revisit that at some point. And when did you revisit that? I think off and on. I really didn't take it too seriously. I was on bed rest for a while. So I I would come to it anytime. I think I had a struggle in my life. I'd kind of think, okay, what does that that mean? Make it count. What, What am I supposed to be doing? And I would think about it and then get busy with, you know, being single mom with two kids and kind of Okay. And life would get and life would get in the way. Yeah. Well, yeah. All right, I'll deal with this another time. Okay, so you never kind of figured out for yourself then what that meant? Not not really any time too soon after that point. No, no. And then you started to numb yourself with with drinking. Yes. Was this was this something that you've always had or was this after I, I had always had it. I had quit drinking when my oldest daughter was born. I, I vowed that I, you know, I wanted something better for her. I just kind of quit cold turkey. Never really did any work on it, but just quit. And by the time I had my second daughter, I think I'd been sober for 
10, 11 years. So I thought, oh, I've been sober long enough. I can have a drink now and again. <laughs> so over the next few years, that one drink now and again just turned into, oh, I did well on one drink. You know, oh, maybe tonight I can have two. And it just increased. And what were you, what were you trying to numb? I think life, the past I hadn't dealt with, the reasons I think I had started drinking you know, way back in the day before I quit the first time. The fact here I was single mom, two girls, not really having any direction. Now that I think of it, not making anything count in my life, just kind of getting in the flow of surviving, basically. And so when did you find yourself on the bathroom floor? That was many years later. Uh, I think my daughter was about five or six. I can tell you that that much I know it was December 23rd, 2012. It was my ultimate rock bottom that I had just gone to work, Christmas party, were throwing up in my bathroom, throw up was everywhere. I was a mess. I looked down at myself and kind of then looked up and went, something has to be better than this. Like, this is not okay. This is not making it count. This is not even making anything count in my life. And I think being brought by my own choices to that spot, I realized that I had to do something. Either I was going to be in this mess for the rest of my life, or I had to go and actually do something, make something count, make myself better, because this is no no way to even parent. And this was no even way to, to live as a, as a person. And did you feel something within you or it was just, it was just like, I need to change, like I'm done? Yeah, just the fed upness and just the patheticness of myself and just to be at that spot. I, I don't think there was anything left throw up everywhere. Like it was just this moment of, oh, and maybe something inside me, you know, just that little bit, I think just a little bit of, there's got to be something a little smidget of hope of there has to be something. And what do you think that something was that was trying to come through? Looking back, that conversation of make it count, like I, nothing was counting in my life at that point. So what did you do to shift then? Because that's a big shift, right? If you're, you're, yeah. you're an alcoholic. Yes. And you finally realize like, I can't do this anymore because you're at, you were at a staff party. Yes. <laughs> which would be very embarrassing to then come out because you have to obviously come out of the bathroom yeah. at some point. <laughs> uh, so how did that shift occur for you? I think at that point, because I had lost all in my eyes. I mean, I, I still had lots of people that love me, but I, I think I lost, lost all dignity that I didn't care. I had to, I had to be better. I had to do better. I knew enough at that point that what I was doing wasn't working that I needed to change and numbing everything, doing what I was doing was clearly not working. So what did you do to heal yourself? What worked? I went to AA and really worked on the steps, really getting down to that nitty gritty of the why, why way back in the day, why I was drinking, why, what I was running from, what was down there. For me, it was one of the painfulest things, emotionally healing, but painful at the same time, because you have to relive all that stuff and come to the conclusion of why I did that. Yeah. You have to feel it and let it burn away. Yeah. And for the first time I was feeling like I knew 
basically three feelings, anger, sadness, and happy. But looking at that from the, the point of view that there are more than those three feelings was the first time I felt. And just embracing that. I think my senses were, <laughs> for the first couple of years, were on overload because, you know, what does jubilant feel like? What does rage, like all of that was coming out. It was a huge awakening of knowing that these things are possible. That other emotions were possible? Yes, other than the three that I was quite frankly with. Like that was a huge, huge piece for me that knowing about feelings, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I'm just, so you're feel, so all of a sudden you're allowing these emotions to come, come through mm-hmm. and they're both negative and both positive. Yeah. And you're experiencing this for the first time. <laughs> yeah. So what did you do with them? I became huge on journaling. Like I, when I went to AA and I got support that they suggested journal, like write everything down. Cause if not, you're going to explode with all these new things happening. So I would just write for hours, you know, I feel this and, and just really writing down what it feels. You know, what does it feel for me to be happy? Oh, you know, my, I smile, my skin feels this way, my hair, like just really breaking it down was such a huge thing. So you're really reconnecting back to yourself. Yes. Yes. Essentially what's happening. Yeah. And like you mentioned, like allowing yourself, like just being in that space, not analyzing it, but just looking at what it means. And what did it mean? That we have these feelings and it's more than, you know, three and just allowing yourself to, to feel is huge. Because you, for so long, you were just numbing it with alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. Were you afraid of the feelings before? I think so. Because I, 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 I mean, I know so. In my family, I mean, my parents and I, we can settle a little bit. But my dad was English. My mom um, was raised with not allowing any feelings. For them, I don't think they, they're scared of feelings. So we weren't able to feel in our family. Like, I think that's what they passed down the inability to be able to feel. I don't think my like dad this, has ever felt. Like the stereotypical British, like straight and narrow. You don't, <laughs> you don't talk about anything. You just kind of get on your business and that's... Yes. That's that. That's that, yeah. And when it comes to your, your spirit, what did you learn about that? That I'm likable. I think that's because you're, you're numbing and you don't have feelings. You, you don't have a clear point of who you are. And... And I believe for me, because I was drinking and numbing it, you can't really like yourself too much if you're doing that to, your, to yourself. It could be known or not known. You may not know that. But I think once that's all erased, I found I really loved myself. Like that was huge for me. It's just, hey, I'm kind of neat. Like, <laughs> I like me. <laughs> so, no, <laughs> so it was, it was self-acceptance. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For all your good and your bad. Good and my bad. Yes. Yeah. And being okay with all of that. And then how did your life shift after that? I became on this mission, if you want, to really work with others. I believe that if I could help other people, then all that crap that I went through made a difference. I can use my story to help other people. So this really I kind of went back to schooling and reading up as much as I could on coaching and personal growth and really helping other people. 
from the time I got sober, I believed in sharing it. My family, maybe not so much like it, but I have always been outward about sobriety and talking it amongst other people to reduce that stigma. And do you think that this is what it means by making it count? Yes. Yeah. Making, and I think, yeah, because now, even though I didn't follow it and I made a mess of everything in the beginning, then I am making that count. I'm making it count to, to be able to share with others. Yeah. Coming full circle. Yes, exactly. So now they may not have to, you know, wait till they're 40 to get fully sober and love, love themselves. If I could save them even half that time of journey, then that's so what, making it count. So what do you, what would you say to people who, who are currently numbing themselves with whatever variety of things that we like to numb ourselves with? <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the things I use. It, it doesn't have to be alcohol. It can be anything. I would, I think the first step is recognizing that this isn't working. And really reaching out, you know, you don't have to be as vocal as, as myself or anybody else. Just think of your tribe and, and ask for help. I think as time, we're kind of breaking that myth that, you know, women or men, you know, we have to, we're st- only strong if we do it all ourselves and we take it all. And slowly over time, I believe that's, that's breaking down that strength is having the courage to share it. And I think it's okay to share it. So where could people find you if they want to find you? Um, my website is Anna Milne. So it's A-N-N-A dot M-I-L-N-E dot com. And then it's black backslash flourishing moms. And what kind of work are you doing then? I work strictly now with moms, just really helping them sidestep that. You know how we get stuck in that tornado of overwhelm and, and guilt and stress? We really sidestep in that. And I've created a three-month coaching program, just talking with three pillars of peace to get them to that spot of stepping outside that tornado. And what are the three pillars? They are beliefs. So belief about yourself, belief about other things that are going on, space. We all need that, (laughs) that space. And then the third one is values, like value of yourself and core value and so like switching the beliefs switching the beliefs in in yourself right instead of having the negative on repeat correct yeah space is essentially what like creating boundaries creating boundaries and awareness and balance comes in space as well and the third one is values just like like making sure that you have you are living up to your own values as a correct as a mother yeah yeah we think I know for myself, we think that any values that we have, you know, it's all about yoga pants and putting our hair in our, in our bun and we stop existing. Anna Milne is now, you know, mom and just yeah. kind of, we can do both. We can go out and have girls night and be okay with it. It doesn't, we don't stop living the moment we become a mom. No, but we do definitely lose a part of ourselves, don't we? <laughs> we do. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So how that all kind of fits in together. Yeah. Well, that sounds amazing. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. You're welcome, honey. This is good. I love what you're doing. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. What I found most interesting about Anna's story was that she had this experience where she heard a direct instruction from the voice within. 
She was told to make it count, and yet, despite the clarity of it, she still wouldn't allow herself to heal. It was only until she was in in a humiliating situation that she finally understood the instructions. How many times has your intuition told you something that you ignored? What was the result? So many of us struggle to hear the voice of intuition, and even when it's super clear, we still don't listen because listening and following the guidance may be difficult. For Anna, she struggled with facing the emotions that she was carrying within her. She never allowed them to surface, and as a result, she only felt a small range of emotions, which I must admit really surprised me. Maybe it's because I'm such an emotional person and I can't imagine only feeling three emotions, but refusing to feel them made her sick. We can only heal ourselves when we face the emotional baggage that we carry around and allow ourselves to fully feel no matter how painful it is. Then the emotional energy can burn away, which frees us so that we can let go and move on and hopefully make it count. If you've been enjoying this podcast, then please take a moment to pop open your podcast app and take a minute to rate and review it. This really helps the show to grow. Thank you so much, and in light and love, I'll see you next week.